It's not always you get a day named after you. Just ask Mansco Perry III, CIO of the Minnesota State Board of Investment. He's not only had a long and amazing career as an investor, he's also the 2018 Lifetime Achievement Honoree at our most recent Industry Innovation Awards ceremony. To commemorate the spectacle, Governor Mark Dayton declared December 13, 2018 to be Mansco Perry Day in the North Star State. Starting off in the corporate world while eventually settling into the public space, Mansco knows a thing or two about risk management. I'm Chris Butera, and today on the Chief Investment Officer Podcast, Perry's going to talk about his illustrious career and how a passion for baseball drives this asset owner's home runs for state retirees. Actually, my career started out uh, working for a couple of corporations, and it was pure basic corporate finance planning analysis. But I started my investing career back in 1990 at the Minnesota State Board of Investment, and I, I spent 18 years there. The first eight years, I was an analyst and found myself in a variety of investment classes. I always tell people, uh, after I botched up one, they sent me to another. But it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because I got kind of a broad, well-rounded focus on on what the entire portfolio has done, which most people usually will find themselves there in bonds or equities or private equity. I had the luxury of having exposure to all of them. After my first eight years there, having botched up a lot of the different asset classes, I was promoted to assistant executive director. That way my boss have a better chance of keeping an eye on me. And I spent 10 years as Howard Bicker's number two guy at uh, Minnesota. And a lot of my job was just to make sure that the office ran well and we got things done when we needed to. I was offered the opportunity to go to be the chief investment officer in Maryland in 2008. Spent about two and a half years there. The interesting part about that time period was I left in April of 08, and the world began to fall apart pretty visibly in that September. I stayed in Maryland for two and a half years and then had the chance to take a job back in Minnesota at McAllister College. During the entire time I was at Maryland, I unfortunately ended up commuting, but actually that turned out in the end to have worked out pretty well. After spending three years at McAllister as its CIO, Howard retired, and I got the opportunity to come back to the state board, and I've been there for the last five-plus years. I guess it is kind of like home to me. Bicker was a mentor of Perry's former days of the fun, and a good friend. While he had an idea who he wanted his successor to be when it came to his retirement, Mansco also had a little bit of luck and a lot of experience that suited him perfectly for the job bringing him out of McAllister and back to familiar territory at the fund. He gave me the opportunity. He was a good friend. I think he saw that I had some talents, and so he just continued to give me opportunities. And when I did something wrong, he'd definitely tell me you might want to rethink that. But I, I just found, found Howard over the last 25 years to be a very good friend who took an interest in my career and still counsels me today. Commanding a $97 billion pension plan is a daunting task, and although Perry has steered a pretty sturdy ship, he's had his share of crashes and waves. The financial crisis of 08 devastated assets across the world, and Perry knew he had to act fast. He figured out a few tactics to combat the shocks and help prevent what could have been a very disastrous time for the Minnesota Fund. 
Fortunately, in Minnesota, things have been pretty smooth, but probably the most challenging time was my first year at Maryland. Like I mentioned before, that's when the crisis hit us, and I'd been there for about six months, and everything started going apart. Biggest concern that I had during the quad crisis was uh, liquidity. Lehman fell in September, and by early October, Everyone was having issues with having liquidity, and uh, after coming back from a meeting one day, I kind of thought, gee, if I don't have enough to pay benefits, they're going to fire me. So I proceeded to have my staff talk to primarily our bond managers, but places where we could find liquidity. We ended up doing something I wouldn't normally have done, but we the depths of the crisis, we raised 10% cash from a variety of sources. And that gave comfort to my board members and the legislature that when I went and told them, you don't have to worry, we'll be able to make benefit payments. Don't think this can last forever, but we're all set. And that put a lot of people at ease to increase uh, credibility that I had been gaining with them. And we kind of sailed through like others. I mean, Portfolio drop. Fortunately, we had the nice rebound in 09. There were a couple of other opportunities I, or fortunate things that happened during that. Right before the crisis, I had had some political pressure to diversify our equity program primarily and primarily looking for women and minority managers. Prior to my getting to Maryland, Legislation had been passed to encourage the retirement system to take that approach. Within two weeks of my being there, I quickly concluded that the feeling among most legislators and also some of my board members that there needed to be a little bit more than encouragement came to the conclusion that if I didn't take this seriously, that they'd come back the next year with a mandate. I didn't want that. So I I set up what at the time was a pretty large emerging manager program. We had about 120 portfolios in it. We used manager of managers to help us out. We had seven of them. Spent a lot of time thinking about it. I personally reviewed each of the managers that went into the portfolio. They were about 85, 90 managers with 100 different portfolios in it. Got pretty lucky. Our timing was right. Initially, we announced it the week before Lehman. There was a lot of discussion about putting it on hold right after Lehman, but we decided that we would go ahead and fund the managers as we had intended to. We just scaled it back a little bit. But a year later, we were pretty fortunate. The entire program had generated 360 basis points of excess returns, so felt pretty good, looked pretty good. Being a sizable fund, the Minnesota plan has a pretty healthy menu of what it can invest in. Mansco's choice is private equity, an asset class growing in popularity in the pensions world. The board recently raised its allocation target to 25% of its assets under management, as returns for the space have been 8% and above over the past several years. Our asset allocation of 53 or so to public equities 20% to uh, bonds and treasuries, 25% to private equity, and the remainder to cash. The reason we don't evenly do it is that you'll find that most portfolios have a strong bias towards public equities, primarily given what you have to invest in. Most people are going to be equity-oriented because that's where the growth is going to come from. Bonds or treasuries are there primarily as a diversifier. We believe that we should have more in private equity. 
We recently raised our target from 20% to 25% for our private market investments. Our portfolio is at now 14, 14 plus percent. One of the challenges we've had with growing that portfolio, five out of the last six years, we've made two and a half to four billion dollars of commitments each year. But the way private equity works, you make a commitment, the manager draws the money down. But in five of the last six years, we've received more back from managers as they've liquefied investments and they've drawn down on new investments. So it's been feeling like we're on a treadmill. We just can't go anywhere. But we're making a concerted effort. The approach Minnesota has historically taken with private market vehicles is to pretty much be pretty steady every quarter, make a reasonable amount of investments. And we've been doing that since the late 90s, early 80s. So we've got a pretty fairly mature portfolio, and I think you see that in the returns. If you look at our long-term returns, we've been doing this for a long time. And I think that the key for us is just that we've been pretty steady. The nature of private equity being long-term vehicles, they aren't as subjected to the volatility that you see in public markets. We believe we've earned a nice return over public markets. The key to it is to find and partner with managers. Most managers are smart. But you try to find managers who've been able to work together over long periods of time. You're able to see how they perform. If you're lucky, you've been able to partner with them early on. And for us, we've got a lot of mature partnerships with managers. Some of our private market managers we've been with since around the time or before I originally came to Minnesota. So we've got some relationships that have spanned it more than a couple of decades. Perry has also found a great diversifier in treasury bonds. They not only work well against a lackluster stock market, but are also a great hedge against inflation, which he uses along with real assets. The beginning of this year, we instituted a treasury-only portfolio, and thinking behind that was to have a little bit more control over our bond portfolio. Historically, we primarily had uh, managers managing core bond portfolios for us. One of the things I noticed during the crisis is that you know, most people get the bonds for diversification. Uh, one of the things I noticed in the crisis is that many bond portfolios didn't provide the diversification that we thought they would. However, treasuries did provide that diversification. In 2019, Mansco is expecting more volatility, as global issues such as Brexit and President Trump's trade war with China has certainly caused for some shaky ground. He says we're somewhat between the eighth inning to possibly extra innings when it comes to the current economic cycle, but there's still some room to run as far as the stock market goes. Although he admits that no one has a crystal ball, our lifetime honoree says the secret to a fruitful career in his profession is a simple one. So this year with the treasuries, it, it wasn't in anticipation that there was going to be the volatility that we've seen. It was more of a long-term positioning, and we've prided ourselves on being long-term investors. What's gone on in October has been a lot of volatility, but I wouldn't say that we position the portfolio uh, because of that volatility. We try to think longer term, and if you really look at what's happened this year with volatility, it's really been a normal blip. From the beginning of the year to now, if you look at our portfolio, 
as of the end of last week, it was pretty flat for the year. Not sure what the market's done the last couple of days, so we're a little bit below that. But volatility is uh, something that most of us expect. It's been a little wilder this year. There have been a, a variety of reasons for it. But I'd say if you really look back at returns, you see that equity markets have probably given us, since 1981, kind of the end of the big inflation spiral that we had. Since then, you look at our portfolio, two-thirds of the time we've had positive double-digit returns. Maybe about six or seven times we've had a negative return. And only two or three times have those negative returns been something that you really want to avoid. I mean, the crisis obviously being one of those periods and also around the time of the tech bubble. For the most part, we believe that we've received pretty good performance both from private equity and public equity. Well, I'd say that no secret, but I think one of the reasons that I've had some success is recognizing very early that it's uh, people business, and I've tried to network with peers. I've tried to network with managers and try to have a free flow of conversation and try to hone in on what I believe some of the best ideas are. I always say that I've tried to keep things simple. Don't want to overemphasize that. I do think that we try to make things a little bit more complicated than they are. To me, some simple tenets are that if you really boil down what we do as asset owners or, or investors, we invest in things that we're going to own, or we invest in things that ultimately we're just lending money. To me, things we own, what we're trying to do is to entrust our money to organizations that are going to invest in companies that are going to grow, be profitable, and generate decent returns for us. When we lend money, we want to make sure we get our money back and that we're compensated for the credit that we've lended to. And I think that looking at that and making certain you understand what you're investing in. I've seen a lot of people who get excited about investment du jour without really knowing what they're invested in. And usually that comes back to bite you. So I'd say make sure you know what you're investing in. Talk to a lot of people. Develop relationships. Uh, can't overstress that. If I've had any success, it's because I've gotten to know a lot of people who do what we do. I've talked to them, tried to figure out what's good, what's bad. And while I won't say there's been herd mentality, a lot of people do gravitate to a lot of good ideas. <laughs> Everyone has a hobby. And as immersed in investing as Perry is, he wouldn't be half the all-star he is today if it weren't for his love of baseball. An avid supporter of the New York Yankees, his favorite player is Mickey Mantle. The Minnesota board CIO's early dreams weren't to play on a team, but to own one instead. Well, when I was a kid, I liked playing baseball. Didn't play it well. It's a baseball card collector, too, which is something I've continued to do. I found myself very early recognizing I didn't play well. I didn't aspire to be a baseball player. I wanted to run a team yeah. <laughs> in high school. I kind of thought that, yeah, it'd be fun. It'd be great to run a team. And then in my uh, early 20s, I began to realize it's a business. And at the time, I was going to business school, and I thought, gee, that'd be a great business to be in. I mean, 
get to go to the ballpark. Some teams are good and some teams are pretty bad. But, you know, it's just fun. I still play fantasy baseball. So something that has always captivated me. I'm really interested in the history. I took my love of baseball and had a little business that I kind of ran on the side for 10 years. And I still dabble a little. But to me, it's just fun. I'd say that my early interest in math was because of the statistics on the back of baseball cards. I don't think I'm unique in in that sense. Probably spend as much time thinking about baseball as I do in the other app, including what I do uh, during the day. Perry also took his interest of America's favorite pastime as a side business. In his youth, he collected baseball cards eventually buying and selling them at conventions with a group of friends. As this hustle evolved, Perry started running the card shows and meeting several heroes such as Hank Aaron and Willie Mays. Essentially, I collected cards when I was a kid, and then for some reason through college and business school, I carried around cards I had collected in the ninth and 10th grade that I had put into a scrapbook. Fortunately for me, I didn't paste them in. I, you might remember, uh, you, you're able to get uh, things that people use, photographs, but in a scrapbook. I used them to put my cards in the book, so they stayed in pretty good condition. Oh, about five years after I got out of business school and it started working, a friend of mine told me about these things called baseball card shows where people would come and sell cards, and I also had collected publications like yearbooks and World Series programs. I went to one of these one Saturday afternoon, spent about half an hour there. Okay, they told me there was going to be a big show the next week. Went down there, and wow, there were like uh, 100 people, like a big flea market. As I was looking at one guy's table, I told him, well, gee, I've got a card like that. I told him, well, you coming back tomorrow, why don't you bring it? brought him in, and he offered me $100 for a 1967 Brooks Robinson card. At that point, I kind of quickly figured, if he's offering me 100 bucks, this has got to be something of this. And so I just went on a mad buying spree for the next two or three years, joined the club, and got involved in it. About five years later, I was in the club, and I had to put on one of these shows for the club and found myself signing contracts for renting tables, renting the space, some other things. And we weren't incorporated or anything. And then it kind of dawned on me that, gee, the only person who's, I was in law school at the time, so the only person who's liable here is me. Why don't I do this myself? So I, I, I did a couple of years later, me and a couple of guys decided to break off and do it. And then I kind of broke off from them and Continue to do it, and for a dozen years, I just had a lot of fun for what I pointed out to people was a no-capital business. Essentially, I could rent a place, I could rent tables to dealers, and that would pay my rent to the event hall that I had. Then I charged people to come in, and I was profitable pretty much from the time the show started. In order to be successful, one must surround himself with a standout cast of players. Perry's dream team includes a number of eclectic professionals just as driven as he is. I usually think of it in terms of a lineup. If I had to put one out there, who they be? Being an American League fan, I think there needs to be a DH. So I'd start off my DH would be Ted Williams, 
My outfield would have uh, Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle, and Joe DiMaggio. Probably Lou Gehrig at first base. I struggle at second base as to who I have, but shortstop would be. I'd probably end up putting someone like Joe Morgan or who. I'd just find a second base. I'd put Ernie Banks at shortstop and probably Brooks Robinson at third base. There are three catchers I'd want to have. Josh Gibson, Yogi Berra, and Roy Campanella. And my pitchers would be Sandy Koufax and a guy named George Herman Ruth. People forget that Babe Ruth was a pitcher and pretty prominent before they went to the Yankees and became the slugger that everyone remembers him as. But those would be some of the guys uh, I'd want and probably would throw Satchel Paige in there as well. I characterize myself as an obnoxious Yankee fan, and I think most people who work with me or know me can attest to the fact that, yes, I'm a very obnoxious Yankee fan. One of the few people who believe that George Steinbrenner had the right attitude. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. The Yankees were great until about 1965, and then CBS owned them as the worst 10 years of Yankee history. Then Steinbrenner brought them and brought them back to life, and since then, you like an owner who wants to win. If he not meddled so much, maybe we would want more, but uh, I'm still a big Yankee fan, and yes, I do believe they're going to win the series next year. thought they were going to win it this year, too. So. <laughs> you don't get more American than baseball and investing. Thanks again for listening to the Chief Investment Officer Podcast. We'd like to thank and congratulate our 2018 Lifetime Achievement honoree, Mansco Perry III of the Minnesota State Investment Board, for taking the time to discuss his career highlights and passions. For more podcasts, article, and additional content, head on over to AICIO.com. I'm Chris Butera, and you have yourself a very happy and healthy new year.